C.S. Lewis, I like reading um, C.S. Lewis, but and, and I'm kind of beginning kind of a love affair with, with, his, um, with, with his fiction. Certainly, um, one of the, my favorite kind of movie series to watch is uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, if you've seen any of that stuff. And I think they did a pretty good job with the story. But in, in The Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe, um, what the part of the story uh, has it involves a white witch who demands by law the life of a traitor, um, and um, if you remember the story, Aslan, who's who's kind of is the representative figure of Jesus in the story, takes the place of the traitor and is put to death on a great stone table by the witch. The witch thereby believes she has conquered all of Narnia. But Aslan overcomes death by means of a greater law, he says, a law that existed from before the dawn of time. And the witch didn't know about this law since her knowledge went back only to the dawn of time. Otherwise, she'd have known that when an innocent individual voluntarily allowed himself to be killed in a traitor's stead, the stone table would crack and death itself would start working backward, if you remember the story. Now, that reminds me of a passage of Scripture that I read in my quiet time this week. You can, turn, you can just remember it if you want to. You'll remember it when I quote it, but it's from 1 John 4, verse 4. Greater is uh, he that is in you than he that is in the world. It talks about the power of Satan, but the reminder from John is that the Lord is greater than the power of Satan. Well, the truth is, Satan knows a lot of things about you. He knows what people do. Actually, he knows the scriptures and he can twist them appropriately. He knows how to persuade. But the ability to know everything, what we call omniscience, is only an attribute, attribute of God, not an attribute of Satan. Which kind of has made me wonder this week in some reading I was doing. Satan was able to persuade Judas to, pers to betray Jesus, which resulted in Jesus' crucifixion and apparent defeat. But the question I read this week that's kind of interesting, would Satan have gone ahead with his plan if he'd have foreseen Jesus' subsequent victory over death? If Satan knew that Jesus was going to rise from the dead, would he have gone to the trouble of the cross? That's, that's, a, that's a question I read this week, and I'm thinking, you know, that's very interesting. He didn't know what would happen after the cross, did he? Because he is not as great as God, and I've got to kind of remember that. Now, but Satan wasn't the only one who was unable to foresee Jesus' victory through resurrection. Although Jesus had predicted it to his closest friends, most of them, all of them, really didn't see it. They were surprised by it. Today we're going to look at the story of the women who went to the tomb on that first Easter Sunday morning and they were not expecting him to be alive. Got to catch this. Why did they come? To prepare his dead body. Okay, we'll talk about that a little bit. They came expecting death and they were surprised by life. 
And we're going to deal a little bit with that today. And uh, um, uh, without stealing Marty and, and Terry's thunder from last week, I want to take just a little more time to deal with the resurrection story as it's told in Mark 16. Bob, if you don't mind, would you read the first three verses of Mark 16? Okay, that's where we're going to hang for a minute. Now, what you got to remember, okay, is what you got to deal with a little bit to catch this story, and this is true of a lot of the stories that you and I have read most of our lives, is I've got to forget what I know for just a minute, okay? Forget what you know and live where they are, all right? So uh, for a second, we got to deal with what would they have expected on that first Easter Sunday, I'm sorry? A, a big stone. They're going to deal with that. We're going to deal with that in a minute as we talk about what they were thinking as they were on the road. Now, by the way, I need a couple of helpers. Uh, there are a couple of passages in John I want us to read, a couple of passages in Matthew I want us to read, and there's at least one in Luke. Who will be John for us? J John. That, that makes sense, okay? John, if you see a reference to John there, if you just kind of... Be prepared for it, and I'll, I'll look at you. Who would be, and by the way, I also need a couple from John 20, verse 1 and verse 2, so we'll be there in a minute. Um, uh, all right, who will be Matthew? Thank you. Now, you don't look at all like what I expected Matthew to look like, but, but I think that's going to be exactly right. Okay, and then Luke. Thank you, Mark. It's funny that Mark is going to read Luke, but okay. Okay. Um, uh, okay, so if you if you guys will look ahead on your outline, and if there's, a, I'll give you a little warning if there's one that's not on your outline, because there are a couple of them that are not on your outline. All right, now, um, that the let me let me deal a little bit with with some background here. The Friday burial was kind of rushed and incomplete. Why? They were, the Sabbath was coming on. It was, Jesus died on Friday afternoon. Okay. Now look, if, if your Bible's like mine, you can just look across the page. And I'm going to read, uh, actually, um, um, the Mark passages. I'll try to kind of help us through. Go to 1546. Okay. All right. Here is kind of what's going on when the body is buried. And ascertaining this... From the centurion, this is uh, Joseph of Arimathea, asks for the body. He granted the body to Joseph, and Joseph brought a linen cloth. He took him down and wrapped him in the linen cloth and laid him in a tomb, which had been hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Okay, so they did that kind of in a hurry on Friday because um, uh, Sabbath was hastening on at, during which time they could not do this kind of work. There was haste involved in this. So when the women get up on Sunday morning, they want to get their first thing. They're fearful of decomposition, all those kinds of things. There would have been maybe, uh, we know the body was wrapped lovingly, placed in the tomb. 
It might have been a, might have been um, spiced or anointed a little bit, but really they're thinking um, this this was not done appropriately. Um, first thing we've got to see here <coughs> is this is a very loving act they're getting ready to do, and I think we've got to think. And, and girls, help me here. I, what I suspect. They watched it being taken care of by Joseph and probably by Nicodemus. Watched the body being placed in the tomb. But I remember even then, my thought is, even then I wonder if they thought, you know what, boys don't know what to do. (laughs) I, I really think so. And so they come back and it's like, okay, we need to give him a proper burial treatment. How loving is that? How loving is that? That they want to come back and take care of their teacher who's now gone. And so that's what absolutely is what they expect. Now, now who is it that comes? They're identified here. It's actually not his mom. Uh, it, okay, it, 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 there are three of them. It's Mary Magdalene. Now, Mary, Magdalene is not her last name, okay? It's like uh, Jesus' mother's last name is not Christmas, okay? Uh, all right, maybe you thought that. I'm sorry if I blew you away. Um, she is from the town of Magdala. She's the, a Magdalene. Sometimes Jesus is called Jesus the Nazarene, um, Sorry, that doesn't mean he went to the Nazarene church, he, although he started it, right? But it meant that he was from Nazareth. Okay, so Mary Magdalene, you kind of see the connection here, all right? Um, uh, it, okay, so there's that Mary. There's um, another Mary. How is she identified here? I'm sorry? The mother of James. The mother of James. Now look at, um, if you will, look with me at... Um, Back in 15, look at 40. There's another identification here. Mary, uh, these were also at the cross, and they were watching the burial. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Less. Okay, now it's that James. Remember, there were two Jameses. I think he's some in some other places, isn't he called the son of Alphaeus? I think, so this is Mrs. Alphaeus, Okay. This is James, the Less's mom. And then a lady that's identified in both of these places by Salome, who is Mrs. Zebedee. Okay, who's Mrs. Zebedee? Mother of the Sons of Thunder. Well, what a life she's had already, you know? Yeah. Okay, so John, this is John's mama, okay, um, and, and the other James. All right, now, they're there. It's those three. And... Uh, uh, the, the word I want you to put in your blank there is the women who first visit the tomb on that first Easter Sunday morning apparently believe that care has been lacking. Okay, lacking. They, 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 it needs, there's more that needs to take place as we, as we kind of established a minute ago. Now, what were their expectations? We've talked about that a little bit. They expected to find death. They'd seen death. They had witnessed burial, and they expected to find death. Now, we've got to kind of hang on to that for just a minute. John, would you read John 20, verse 1? Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and 
Now, what? They went as early as they possibly could. So they left before, before light. It was still dark. Kind of an arduous little trip, right? Uh, although it wasn't a long trip. But it's just three women traveling by themselves in the, in the pre-dawn darkness. And what John identifies for us in John 20, and what uh, Mark also identifies for us here, is it was the first day of the week. Now, does that have any significance? Absolutely none. Until this day. Previously, this is Monday. Remember, their Sabbath was Saturday. This is the first day that brings any meaning really to Sunday. What would your life be like? I just think about all the things that have happened because of the resurrection. What would your life be like if there were not Sundays like we have them and like I've had them all of my life? In church since nine months before I was born. On Sunday. And actually on Sunday night and on Wednesday. Okay, that whole thing. What would your life be like had there never been any, any significance attached to the first day of the week? Think about that for a minute. It's just, it's so different. And so when it says on the early, on the first day of the week, it was just the first day of the week. It was another Monday for them in their culture. They want to get there as soon as they can because they really want to take care of this uh, as expediently as they possibly can. And they have to wait until the dawn of the first day of the week when the Sabbath celebration is passed. So, that's what they do. Now, <clears throat> in verse 3, put the word anxiety there in the blank. What is their anxiety around? Who's going to move the rock? Now, it makes me wonder. I'm just going to tell you. They're in a hurry. It makes me wonder if one of them says to the other, why didn't we think to get somebody to come with us to move that rock? And this is kind of their, that all of a sudden, and they're almost within eye shot of the garden tomb. And uh, when they, uh, at that point, just then, it's like, guys, we didn't bring somebody with us to move the stone. Now, what would the challenge be? Okay, they forgot a really, really significant detail here. Um, um, they had seen him placed in the tomb and according to verse 46 and 47 that we read a minute ago from chapter 14 they had watched the stone being rolled into place and, um, and, and so uh, one of the questions that's implied here in verse 3 is are we even going to be able to see him? Are we even going to be able to care for him? Now what we have to understand is the um, is the um, physics of this moment. I don't know much about physics, but I do know that one of the laws of physics is that a, that a, a body at, most, at rest tends to remain what? At rest. This is a huge stone. Thank, thankfully, it's round, so it can roll. That helps a little, but there's a problem with that. As you and I probably understand, or maybe you've seen, it has been rolled down into a groove hewn in the, in the rock. For what purpose? So it can't be moved. It would take several 
men, probably. Girls, no negative reflection on you. But it would take several to just move this thing if, if I was rolling it in a straight path. Rolling it into place took several men. Now rolling it out of this groove is going to take several more. And they're kind of laden down with, with new grave clothes and with spices for anointing. And they, one of them looks at the other and says, Girls, how are we going to get in there? I think it's an interesting omission. But not one that they really need to worry about, huh? They didn't know that. Yes, Cindy. Do you suppose they knew that they had posted the guard and maybe they thought the guard might be there? That's a great comment. We don't get it in Mark. We only get that one in Matthew, in Matthew 28, where, there were, where uh, um, the, uh, uh, the, the uh, high priest asked Pilate to place a guard, and Pilate said, this is your problem. You got your own guard, place them. And so they did. They were ineffective, but they were there. Could be. Yeah, I can see that. Okay, I can see that. The, the ERA is alive and well. Okay, now, uh, and by the way, if you're of a certain age, you have no idea what I just said. Okay. Um, now, could it be, though, that it's like, how are we going to get this stone rolled away? And maybe it is that they anticipate there's a dozen soldiers there, maybe a cohort of 16. Maybe those guys can get it moved. All they know is they want to get it moved. By the way, the disciples are not there. Where are they? In hiding. They can't get their help. Okay? And I don't know, Cindy, if the soldiers would be predisposed to help. But that's, that's a good thought. Yeah, exactly. Bat their eyes and here we go. Yeah. Um, now, now, as we start into verse 4, okay, that's what we face. This kind of moment of anxiety. What are we going to do? Now, let's read some of the rest of the story. Somebody read 4, 5, and 6. Okay, now, upon arrival, the women are perplexed by what they find. What did they find? They didn't need to worry about the stone. Okay, now there's some interesting verbiage here. Uh, I'll probably misspell this word. But in this word, I mean, in, um, in Mark... The Greek word for away or rolled away is the word apokulio, okay, which just means to roll away. John uses a different word, so go with me if you want to, and, and our John is going to read verse 1 and 2 of John uh, 20 here, okay. John, who was there eventually, okay, he wasn't there yet. The women beat him there. They go back to Jerusalem and say, guys... He's not there. And remember, John outruns Peter to get to the tomb. So he's seen it. He's seen this scene um, a, a few minutes or a couple hours later. All right. 
So he's seen it. And when he describes a scene, here's how he's going to describe it. Read verse 1 and 2 of, of John 20, John. Okay, in verse 1, when he sees, when, uh, they, when Mary sees, it's, it's a word, when she sees that the stone has been rolled away, she uses a word, and I'm probably not pronouncing this right, Iro. she doesn't use, he doesn't use apiculio to roll away. This word is a word that implies lifting. Uh, I've heard one apologist describe it, that the stone appeared to be, and as John describes it, blown away. Now, but if you, I'm not advocating for you to, to, uh, to go see a movie at all, but, but um, I did, Ron and I saw the movie Risen, and one of the things I liked about it is the stone was not rolled, you know, in every Easter pageant depiction, it's got the stone at the side, you know, just right there, at the, you know, so it can be rolled back in. Uh-uh. Not, not according to, and the movie got it right. It was like 30, 40 feet away. Off, laying on the ground over against another rock. or so, I just like the way they did it there. Because that's how I imagine it. When they approached, it wasn't that the tomb had been unsealed and opened. It was that some supernatural power had blown the stone away. Does that change your faith any? Did Jesus need 12 not-need disciples to come roll the stone away? Was there, were 16 uh, temple guards required to roll the stone away? No. Something bigger than all of that took, it blew the stone away. I love that thought. You know? It was down the hill away from there, according to at least John's description. Now, they're perplexed by what they find. Uh, John, can I come back to you and read verse 9 out of John 20? You still got to catch it here. They don't know what they're going to find. They just know what in the world happened to that stone. Remember, a moment ago, they were perplexed as to how we're going to move the rock. Now they're perplexed as who moved it. I love that. They still don't know what's going on. But they have this kind of, they're sticking with their, their plan here. Now, um, by the way, um, back to what John read for us a little bit ago in John 20, verse 1 and 2, the same word here that's used for away, the stone was away, is the word that's used uh, in this next verse, in verse 2, when the angel says to the women, uh, they ha- have taken his body away. It's not there. So it's, it's this very same word, two verses apart. Now, um. For them, prior 
to verse 5 and 6, what's their explanation? The stone is rolled away. They know that. What, what you've got to hang on to for just a minute here yet is the least likely option they're thinking is that he's alive. That doesn't even occur to them. The least likely option. Maybe they're thinking somebody else beat us here. He's, his body's already been taken care of. Maybe they're thinking, you know, Joseph and Nicodemus came back. They have no thought when they walk into the tomb for what they're going to find. None. Can you catch this? Remember verse 9 that John just read? He, they forgot. All of them, every one of them forgot what he told them. His prediction. Okay? So, the two words I want you to put in the next two blanks for verse 5 is boldness and fear. Their boldness is followed by fear. I, I, I think this is kind of incredible, incredibly bold, that they approach this this stone tomb, and they walk in. Not me. I don't do graves, you know. They walk in. I'm thinking, okay, well, we're here for a reason. Let's go on in, right? But that boldness turns immediately to startling, to amazement, and to really fear. Because they find a young man. Now, in other passages dealing with this, it identifies him as an angel. And he's kind of um, parenthetically or uh, between the lines identified as an angel here by what? His, his clothing, his description of how he's dressed. Yeah, here's, here's a guy sitting there in a white robe. Uh, you, you just figure it's got to be, you know, got to be. Whatever, his visitation or his appearance there was really, really startling to them. They uh, did that again. They got a lot of things happening here that they don't expect, and here's another thing that they don't expect. My dad told me a story 40 years ago about a guy who was walking home on a dark night, and he decided to take a shortcut through the cemetery. And what he didn't know is that they had already opened a grave for a burial to happen the next day, and he stumbles into it. And for about 20 minutes, he scratches and claws and tries to climb out. Uh, he's exhausted, wringing wet and dirty, trying to crawl out of this, um, this open grave, and it's dark. He can't see very much, and in fact, he can't see that there's another guy in the grave with him, happens to be a, 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 a derelict, a drunk, who stumbled in there by accident as well. But he hasn't seen him in his haste to try to get out of there, scrambling to get out. And the drunk finally says, you can't get out. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> what do you expect to find in a grave? Death. That's not what they found. They found life. They found life. Even a young man. Imagine finding this on a visit to a cemetery, folks. An angel sitting on a tombstone. Imagine it. They didn't imagine it. That was the last option they would have thought of. I, I think it's incredible that none of them said to themselves, well, he's gone. 
Maybe he is alive. <laughs> so, the angel's invitation to look and see. I love it. Look and see. Do you know what? The Lord will never, the Lord will never criticize you for investigation into the things of faith. Never has, never will. Why? Because he knows that his story is beyond reproach. It's all truth. So he just says, like the angel says, come on, take a look. Take a look. And so they do. And he makes a gesture here that's kind of interesting, I think. Uh, he gives them a typical angelic reassurance. Uh, don't be afraid. I'm not going to hurt anybody. The place of death, he says, has now become the center of life. And there evidently is an old apologetic question here that began to arise that, okay, when they got to the tomb, they had just been to the wrong, they'd just come to the wrong one. You know, you're looking for an answer, any old answer will do. Well, there's one. They just come to the wrong tomb. Why is that a problem according to what the angel, angel says to them? Look here. This is where they laid him. They would recognize it as being the place where they laid him. Now in the, in the glistening early dawn sunlight. This is where they laid him. The grave clothes are still there. All that kind of thing. The angel's invitation is accompanied by pointing to evidence of this being the right tomb. That's an important fact. They weren't in the wrong place. Now, we got to read on. Bob, can you read two more verses for us, verse 7 and 8? Okay, what I'm going to need coming up here is I need somebody, uh, our Matthew person to go to 28.8, and I need our Luke person to go to 24.9, if you guys would be ready for that. John, I'm gonna, only going to refer to John 21, so we don't need to go there right now, and that's, that will kind of get us through. Here we go. Now, they are told by the angel to go and tell. This is an early form of the Great Commission that you and I are going to read about in Matthew 28.19 and 20. This is... Kind of a different kind of commission because they're told to go and tell, but it's a limited number of people they're told to go and tell. They are told to go and share it with those who believe. Okay? Interesting, because he says, go tell the disciples, those who believe, go tell Peter. We'll get to that in just a minute. But what I want you to be encouraged by, girls, is that the gospel is actually first shared by women. Think about that for a second. The gospel is very first placed in the mouth of women's, in all, in mouths of women in all of the gospels. And by the way, in their culture, if Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John had made up their story, they wouldn't make it up this way. Because the fact that this story is told by women in the first century A.D. would immediately have brought it into question. And that, that, I can't help that. That's just truth. The gospel is first preached by women. Now it's taken to the believers, 
which I find intriguing, but we also know from reading 1 Corinthians 15 that it was not only told to the believers. Jesus not only appeared in those 40 days after the resurrection to believers, but at least one non-believer he appeared to was his half-brother James. Most of the rest of them were already believers. And Peter here is singled out. Now, what do you think, I, I, I love this, that, um, that the angel says, go tell the disciples and don't forget to tell Peter. Why? Yeah, he's got some bad history here. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, right? That whole denial. What do you think Peter felt when the women came to the upper room where they were hiding and said, guys, you're not going to believe this. The body's not there. And an angel told us he's alive. And they told us to come tell you. And then the three of them looked squarely at Peter and said, and he especially wanted you to know. I, can I tell you something? The gospel and is the gospel is and has always been personal. What I want you to imagine is if this were happening today, the angel would say, Go tell the disciples and Sally. This is for her too. Go tell the disciples, and Ralph. He needs to know. You're included in that gospel. Now, their departure from the tomb was pretty hasty, and it was really silent or hushed. Matthew 28, 8, who's got that? They're afraid, but they're filled with joy. I love it. Uh, Luke 24, 9. The way I envision this is on the way back from the tomb, they're just like, uh, what do you think? They just, you know, no, don't, don't even talk about it. By the time they get to Jerusalem, by the time they get to the upper room, hey, you guys, you got to know what you you know. They're telling it. Aren't you glad they did? They're afraid to say anything to anyone, but by the time they get to Jerusalem, they did. Now, what we've got to do to apply this, I want you to, everybody to go with me to the last book of the Bible, to Revelation 1, Revelation 1, verse 18. These words are in red. What does that mean? Jesus spoke them. What is different about this resurrection? The Shunammite woman in 2 Kings 4 was raised from the dead. The son of the widow of Nain in Luke 7 was raised from the dead. The daughter of Jairus in Luke 8 was raised from the dead. Lazarus himself in John 11 was raised from the dead. What's the difference in this one? Those resuscitations were instances of temporary restoration of physical life by the reunion of soul and body. Temporary because all these people died later. 
But this resurrection was and is, you can put both words here or either one, permanent, eternal. Look at what Jesus, somebody read Revelation 1.18 that's in red in my Bible. I was dead, and I am alive for how long? Forever. And in case you've missed that, and ever, he adds. This is permanent. Uh, the second truth of this, and you can read about it uh, when you read that the post-resurrection appearances. The Lord's body was transformed. By the way, yours will be too. You got somebody here grieving the loss of, maybe in this last year? Can I tell you something? Where they are, they have a new body. When you see them next, they will have a new body and it will be perfect. Like Jesus was. I was reading, you can tell I've been reading in 1 John this week, but listen to what 1 John 3 says. I, I just love this. Beloved, now we are the children of God and it has not appeared yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. Because we will see him just as he is. Now, I've been reading a book lately on, uh, on Abraham Lincoln. The, the title is simply A. Period Lincoln. It's fairly new and it's, it's, um, it is interesting. They, you know, in the spirit of historical revisionism, you read things and, you know, they want to kind of give the story of a person warts and all, and they kind of do that here. But, but it's still been interesting for me to read um, how wonderful this uh, man was who really saved the Union in so many ways. But as I read this book, and if I read uh, several books about Lincoln, in fact, if I went to the Library of Congress and read everything that he ever wrote, and he wrote a lot, I still couldn't know Lincoln. Why? He's dead. Do you know I can read the four biographies of Jesus? And I can read those who wrote after his death and they, they share the words of eternal life um, based on what he taught them or taught someone who taught them. I can read... Isaiah 53 and read the predictions about him from seven or eight hundred years before he was ever born in Bethlehem. Can I know Jesus? Yeah, I can. Why? Because he's alive. Forever and ever. Whatever your hope issue is, for the women that first came to the tomb... Their hope issue was their teacher, the one they were putting all their trust in, was gone. Whatever your hope issue is, I want to ask you, can you trust him? Would you just one more time, I'm going to keep making us say these two simple, very, very simple words. I believe it begins right there. 
We'll be in Luke 7 next week. Will you go with me? And I'll see you there. All right. Have a great Sunday.